0: Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. Today, I am excited because we're starting a brand new series from the Book of Galatians, which is probably one of my favorite books of the Bible and we're calling it jesus plus nothing turn to the person next to you and say it's all, about jesus. it's all about jesus you need to know this it is all about jesus some of you grew up with religion where it's like well it's jesus plus the choir well it's jesus plus the drapery I, mean, I don't know if you grew up in a church like mine but we used to have uh potted plants all over the stage because if you were gonna be a holy place of worship, you needed to hide all of the speakers and instruments. And so, like, you didn't even know people were playing piano in my church. You thought they were playing a fern. Uh, But, like, we we have all these traditions, and you know, traditions are great. There's some traditions that I have with my family, and and it's fun, but we've gotta be careful when we allow our traditions to creep into our relationship with Jesus, and we make it well, it's Jesus plus the fern in front of the piano. Turn to the person next to you and say, that's not, right. that's not right. It's Jesus plus nothing. And so Paul is writing this letter to the churches in Galatia, which would have been located in Asia Minor. Today it would be modern-day Turkey. And Paul visited Galatia on his first missionary journey. So this is, this is kind of cool, like... Paul's brand new to this whole gospel thing. He's out there presenting the gospel. He comes to Galatia. He stops there. He preaches to the people. And then he starts planting these churches there. And these are, I want you to understand, like these are like his babies. Like when you start a church, like these are your kids that you're wanting to uh, raise them and you're wanting to see them come into the full maturity of Christ and you really, really care about them. Like get this, like, like, as a Christian, you love everyone. And, and as a minister, like, if I go to a church and minister, I love those people and I want them to receive from me. But when I leave that place, it's all on them. Like, they've got to they've determine what they're going to do with the word. But, like, at Activation Church, it's different because you are my local family and God has, like, put me here to be a part of your life and for you to be a part of my life. And so there's, a, there's, there's just a different level of love and compassion i don't know if that makes sense to you because i know some of you have never really passed a church but I, you need to know how much i love you and care for you and how much paul loved and cared for the people of galatia they were like his children and he was like a father to them and i'm a dad with three girls and i can be very playful i can be very silly my uh, little youngest daughter she's four years old i pick her up from preschool and every time I pick her up from preschool, she, wants, she goes, Daddy. And I say, Waddy. That's how I respond. If you say Dad, I'll say, What's up? If you say Daddy, I say, Waddy. And so she goes, Attend. That's how she says, Attend, you don't see me. And we do this every day. You would think it would get older, but Attend, you don't see me. And so I have to go to her car seat and go, Where's Isla? Oh, no. Someone must have left her at school. So, you know, I go through this whole routine and she thinks it's the funniest, and now she's added another layer to it where she goes, and attend on a statue. And so I go, where did this statue come from? Where's my isla? And then I go, statues aren't ticklish. Let's see if this, and you know she doesn't want me to tickle her where she's actually ticklish because she doesn't want to laugh because she's a statue, you know. And so I tickle her on her like, kneecap and she sits there and I go, okay, well I guess I'll take the statue home. And she thinks it's the funniest thing. And so I love to have fun with my kids. And I love to be silly with my kids. And I love to be tender with my kids. But there are times when the serious voice comes out. Anybody know what I'm talking about as a parent? Or maybe you were raised by a parent that like when that serious voice happens, you know like something is up, a butt is about to get whooped. <laughs> and so I've got this serious voice. And the reason I mention that to you is because when Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians, he's using his serious dad voice. Because what's happened is this, these churches that he started that he has loved, that he has helped them get developed. In his absence, these people have crept into the church, and they're starting to put all these regulations on their relationship with Jesus. They're giving all these regulations to this newness in Christ that they have found. And it's getting to be like, hey, it's cool to love Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. And if you woke up this morning thinking, I hope that the pastor talks about circumcision today, this is your sermon. <laughs> if you didn't, like, just just deal with it for a little bit. But, but it's, these people come in, it's like, yeah, okay, this Jesus thing, it's new, it's cool, but we've got to remember all the laws. We've got to remember all the rituals. We've got to make sure that people are circumcised. Like, if you're going to go to heaven, you need to be circumcised. You also need to remember all of these religious days, you got to remember these ceremonies, and you got to keep the Sabbath day holy. And this morning as I was as I was thinking about this and I was thinking about all these regulations and I was thinking about the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, Jesus is your Sabbath rest. And that's what you need to understand and that's what Paul is addressing in this letter to the people that he loves. He's saying that all those things that were a part of your past and your history and the law, they served a purpose. But you need to understand that Jesus has fulfilled it. And I want you to know, because some of you, you're going to be reading the book of Galatians and you're going to get to chapter 5, verse 2, where Paul is saying if you're circumcised, then you have no part in Christ. I want you to know that if you're circumcised in here, you're okay. That's not what he's, that's not what he's getting at. What he's getting at is if you feel like you need circumcision to bring you into right standing with God, then you're missing the point. It is Jesus plus nothing jesus plus nothing equals your salvation this should be really good news to some of you that grew up in a religious environment where you felt like your hair had to be cut a certain way you had to dress a certain way you had to sing certain songs you had to talk a certain way you couldn't smoke or chew or hang out with those that do because if you do that's the appearance of evil and you're going to hell i mean that we we, religion has gotten ridiculous over the years because what happens is anytime we incorporate our ideas and mix it with Jesus, things go haywire. Because how many of you know we've all got different opinions? Yeah, I was reading on Facebook the other day. Somebody was attacking uh, the way people worship in church nowadays with, you know, the lights and, um, and the style of music. And they're like, you know, we, just, we should get back to the hymns. That's the holy, you know, music. You know, first off, I have no problem with hymns. I love hymns. I grew up with hymns. I sing hymns. Everybody know I have no problem with hymns? But did you know that hymns were mimicking the style of music of that day? It it was coming from this place of these honky-tonks and and the blues, and and I don't know if you all remember Jimmy Swaggart, and everybody loved Jimmy Swaggart and the way he played piano. Do you know where he learned to play that? In the honky-tonks with his cousin, Jerry Lee Lewis, who played the same style and called it rock and roll. And then Jimmy's condemning rock and roll that he's playing and just saying Jesus' name on top of it. But we, we, get, we get ridiculous, and I love Jimmy. I, I swam in his pool when I was good. I love Jimmy. So if you're a Jimmy fan, like, I'm not attacking Jimmy. What I'm getting at is we've got to be very careful that we don't allow our concepts and opinions of what we think is right to creep in and add a dividing line between us and Christ. If there is something that needs to be worked out in your life, I promise you that Jesus is big enough to work it out. Amen? Amen? So that's where we are. So if you have your Bible, go to Galatians, the first chapter, starting at verse 1. Paul starts the letter like this. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men. That's important. He's wanting them to know, like, I am an apostle. I am qualified to deal with this subject, and this qualification has not come from myself or any other human being. I didn't choose this for myself. Nobody appointed me to be an apostle other than Jesus Christ himself. And so when he's delivering this message, he's wanting them to know, I've got the authority to deal with this. And this authority has not come from me it has come from jesus and the message if you read on through his letter he wants them to know like the gospel that i'm presenting to you is not something i learned from someone else it's not something i came up with it's something that i spent time with the lord and had a direct revelation of jesus christ about i know what i'm talking about is what he's saying paul an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. You need to know that no one took Jesus's life. When you go through the narrative we see him being betrayed, we see him arrested, we see him beaten, we see him hung on a cross and I want you to know that everything that happened along that process was because he allowed it to happen. No one had the power to put Jesus on that cross. No one had the power to keep Jesus on the cross except for Jesus Christ himself. As a matter of fact, he says, nobody took my life, I gave my life. And Christ is wanting, and Paul's wanting us to know that this was the will of God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, that he would give himself for you. He endured, The pain, the suffering, and the shame for you so that you could be delivered from your sins. And anytime I think about Jesus hanging on the cross, I think about how much willpower he had to have to keep himself there. Because you do understand this is the word of God made flesh. So this is the one who said, let there be light, and light happened. In other words, when Jesus thinks and says something, it happens exactly how he thinks it and how he says it. And so if he's on the cross and he gets like one inclination of something, thinking, I see Frank down there, I'm going to get him. Immediately something happens to Frank. It'd be like Thanos in Endgame. The wrong thought the snap of the fingers, and everything disappears. You do understand he could have done that, right? But he didn't. He gave himself. Get this. He gave himself. He gave himself. No one did it for him. He chose to die to deliver you from your sins and to deliver us from this present evil age according To the will of our God and Father. This was God's will. This was not a backup plan. From the beginning of time, when man was created in the garden, before they ever turned their back on God, God had already determined that Jesus Christ would die for them. That's why the scripture calls him the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world. God already knew the choices that we would make, and he already had a plan in effect. And as soon as man and woman sin, God steps in and he tells Satan, there in the garden, he says, the woman's gonna have a son, and you will bruise his heel. Speaking about the suffering, you'll bruise his heel, you'll wound him. But in that wounding, in that bruising of his heel, He will crush your head. And he did that for us. To forgive us of our sins and to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Verse 5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. A couple of years ago, I was on my boat with our worship leader, Randy, his family. My family's there and we're out we're having a good time hairs in the wind not mine Uh, but other people on the boat everybody on the boat has hair except for me I'm a little bitter about it but there we are their hairs in the wind and the wind is beating against my head and we run out of gas in the middle of the lake but Randy's gonna save the day he jumps into action and he grabs an oar from the bottom of my boat. Now this is not a canoe, this is not a John boat, this is a full-sized boat. It's a 12-person boat, it's a big heavy boat. But this does not stop, Randy, no. He gets on the front of the boat, he takes charge, he's got this paddle, and he starts just to going. And we are going Nowhere. He's like a hamster on a wheel. He's exerting a lot of energy. We really appreciate his effort, but not much is getting done. And in that moment, I decide to receive U.S. towboat into my heart, and I call them, and they come, and guess what they do? They put gas in my boat. No metal paddling would have ever got us anywhere. And right when you think you're starting to make a little headway, the wind would come or another boat would come and it would just pull you off. But U.S. Tow Boat, they came and they saved the day and we received their gas into our boat. We received the opportunity of new life. We received the opportunity to move beyond our current circumstance into fresher waters where the wind will once again beat against my bald head. Now imagine US tow showing up putting gas in the boat us saying thank you so much for your work and your service and I receive your gas into my boat this day I make a public confession that your gas is the gas that will get our boat going. Now imagine I do that and then I allow them to leave and say okay Randy let's start paddling and never crank the boat. How ridiculous would that be? That's what's happening here in Galatians. Paul's like, Jesus came and put gas in the boat, and you're still thinking that you need to paddle. Watch verse 6. He says, I am astonished. You're you're freaking me out here. You're blowing my mind. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting. Him who called you in the grace of Christ. Get that line right there. See, sometimes we read through scripture and Andrew will just hop right over lines like that. And we won't really give much thought to it. But Paul's saying, I'm astonished that you're quickly deserting him. When you feel like you've got to earn your salvation on your own through your works because you think you're going to please God, actually what you're doing is deserting God. You're turning your back. You're actually turning your back, Bob, On Jesus Christ and saying, hey, thanks for what you did, but now I'll step in and finish this process. And you're deserting so quickly him who called you in the grace of Christ. He brought you into the grace of Christ. Paul starts by saying grace and peace to you. There is grace for you, and when you understand this grace, you will find peace. You will find rest. Jesus says, come to me. All you who labor, everybody that's worn out, you're busted up, come to me and you'll find rest. He's dealing with religious people in a religious system and he's saying, stop it. I am here now. I will work for you and give you rest. But they're quickly deserting him who called them into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That's how deception works. Deception does not come out of nowhere, deception takes a little bit of truth and makes it work. This is going to be fun because we have so many new people coming to our church that I can once again do this. And so if you have been a part of our church for a long time, do not participate. Yesterday, um, I did a wedding for Jim and Michelle's son, Josh Kudwa, and his brand-new bride, Madison. It was, it was such an incredible moment. And I had to leave the, the, the wedding. I, I stayed at the reception for a little bit, but that y'all's pictures took forever. And so <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I had to get back to my, my family because we were camping out this weekend. We were supposed to do it for my daughter's birthday. Anyway, long story short, we had to reschedule it. So, but on the way, I hadn't really eaten, so I stopped and got a sandwich from Johnny's. Uh, How many of you like Johnny's? Those things are freaky fast. Um, So anyway, I'm getting my sandwich made, and so I'm going through. I want the Italian, spicy Italian, add the peppers. I want extra sauce, add the Jimmy mustard, and then I want to get extra mayo. I took that sandwich and devoured that sandwich. How many of you in here, by the showing of your hand, would believe that to be a... True story. Okay, now put your hand down. How many of you in here do not believe that story? Raise your hand. Cameron, why is that story not true? Because I do not like mayonnaise. I did go to a wedding. I did not eat a sub. And I did not put mayonnaise on it because I don't like mayonnaise. But see, because you did not know the truth. See, now you do. So now, next time we do this illustration, it won't work on you. But now, now that you know the truth, you've been set free. But I can, take something that, I can take something that seems true and seems believable and just mix a little bit of deception into it and pull you away. And that's what happens when he's talking about the gospel here. He's saying people have crept in, and they're starting to distort it. They're starting to alter it. And it may seem minute, and it may seem reasonable, for a moment, like, well, yeah, God did tell people to get circumcised in the Old Covenant. That, that was a, we should get circumcised. So that makes sense that if we're going to please God now, we've received Christ, but we still need to be circumcised. It seemed reasonable, but it was distorting the gospel because it has to be Jesus plus nothing. Because Jesus plus anything else does not work. So he says... There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ, verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is strong language. Paul's saying the people who are coming in and adding all these regulations and making it so difficult for you to walk in your salvation, they should be accursed. In Galatians 5.12, he says, I wish that they would emasculate themselves. Think about that. Think about that. I wish that they would remove their very own manhood from themselves for what they are doing. This is serious business. Paul was passionate about it because Jesus was passionate about it. Because Jesus said, man, if you start messing with these kids and start pulling them away from the truth of the gospel, it would be better, Sean, that you would tie a millstone around your neck and sink yourself to the bottom of Lake Altoona. This was very serious business because the freedom that the gospel brings cannot have any stipulations on it other than Jesus Christ because this kind of freedom has to be received. It cannot be earned. Turn to the person next to you and say, it has to be received. It cannot be earned. Sin is a huge problem, and you are not the solution for it. That may bother some of you, but that makes me feel really, really good because I don't have to carry this burden because Jesus already carried it for me. Jesus is the solution to the problem of sin. Ephesians 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved. I want to read that again. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it's the gift what do we do with gifts we receive it it's the gift of god not a result of works, so that anyone may boast god like totally removes every other human being out of the equation so that one day they can't say look what i've done because it had nothing to do with you. You you need to know that it doesn't matter how hard you try to live a righteous life, you'll always still fall short of the glory of God. I've talked to people before about salvation, and I could probably ask some of you in here this question, and I'd say, like, how do you know you're saved? And some of you would say, well, I was raised in a Christian family. We went to church all the time. Well, I'm a good person. You ever heard anybody say that? Well, I'm a good person. I mean, I don't cheat on my wife. I don't really lie. I've never stolen anything. I'm a good person. You ever heard of someone? And what we're doing is we're saying, I've, I've earned my salvation. And you need to know that you could feed every hungry child on the planet. You, you could build homes for every person that needs a home. You can start a circus for children. You could do all of these things and still not make it to heaven. Because salvation is not based upon what you do. It's all about what he, being Jesus Christ, has already done. And if you've ever thought in your mind, like, well, I'm okay because my family was Christians and we go to church. Or I'm okay because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not just believing that Jesus is the Son of God. It's believing that you were jacked up in a life of sin and that this God-man came and died the death that you deserve. It's understanding that, that there is no forgiveness of sins apart from what Christ alone has done. The only part you play in this is putting your faith in the finished work of Jesus. That's it. Well, what do I need to do? Put your faith in what he's already done. Point one is this, Jesus works for you. Turn to the person next to you say, Jesus works for you. Galatians one, verse 13. Paul says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. That's who Paul was. He hated Christians. He hated Christianity. He thought that the whole Jesus thing was was garbage. He says, that's who I was. I tried to destroy it. Not only was I trying to destroy it, verse 14, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age, among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. (laughs) This guy meant business. This was near and dear to him. He spent his entire life studying the scriptures but verse 15 but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles I did not immediately consult with anyone. Paul was a works guy and he outworked everybody. He knew the law and he kept the law to the T. He knew the scriptures. These guys spent their life studying the scriptures. They knew the scriptures, they had a working, formal education of the scriptures. But Paul says, One day Jesus knocked me off my horse, I had a revelation of him. And now I truly see what the scriptures were really saying because it wasn't about all this stuff. It was all about him. See, there was a time I thought that the Passover was just about this meal that we need to keep to remember the time that God sent the the death angel and they passed over the children of Israel's house but took out Egypt. And so we do that as remembering them. But now that I've seen Jesus, I realize That Jesus is the Passover lamb. Everything that I've read from the scriptures, it all speaks about Jesus. And now I understand it's not about how I live or what I do or what rules or traditions I keep or whether I eat bacon or don't eat bacon. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. (sighs) That just stuns me to think that you could study the scriptures and still miss Jesus. And Jesus dealt with that when he talks to the different law keepers. He says, You've spent your entire life studying the scripture, but you miss the one that the scriptures are about. It's not about working for his love. Yet, Paul is completely transformed. This this revelation of who Jesus Christ is completely transforms his life. And his work ethic is still there. But the thing is, he's no longer working for love. He's working from love. This is is huge. He's not working for the love of God. He's working from love the love of God. He's saying, I'm going out and I'm preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, not so God will say, you can come to heaven. Not so God will say, I love you more. I'm doing it because now I've had a revelation of who Jesus is, and it's like a fire shut up in my bones. I've got to get out there and let other people know that there is freedom for them through the grace of Jesus Christ. That if God can take a life like mine, someone who was persecuting the church someone who was murdering Christians and completely transformed me, then he can do it for them. Works don't lead to life. Works come from life. Paul said, I worked harder than all the other apostles, but I'm not doing it to earn anything. I'm doing it because of the love I've received. And from that flows what I do. Hear what I'm saying. We don't give to the church because we're trying to earn something from God. We don't serve in the church because we think that's where our salvation comes from. We don't do all these things that we do, that we should do, but we're not doing it because we're trying to earn something. We're doing it from a place of love. I love what God has done for me. And so I gladly support his mission financially so that he can do it for more. I'm so thankful for what God has done in my life that I want to serve in his house so that others can enjoy a new life. I I come to church on Sunday, not because I'm trying to keep a law of keeping the Sabbath day holy. I come to church on Sunday because I believe that Jesus gave his life for me and this is the gathering place of his body and this is where we are fed. This is where we receive the nutrition that we need. This is where we are strengthened and encouraged to go back out into our world and preach the gospel. So you need to know this. Jesus does the work for you. But once he works for you, he does call you into something. Second point is this, Jesus now works in me and through me. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus works in me and through me. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and do of his good pleasure. See, Jim, on your own, you can bring no pleasure to God. And you would have no desire to bring pleasure to God. Anybody remember your life before Christ? Somebody said, I try not to. (laughs) You didn't wake up every morning thinking, how can I please God? You thought, what can I get from me? Right? Because that's our nature. We are by nature, the Bible says, we are by nature children of wrath. That's why we have to be born again. Because it pulls us from one kingdom into a completely different kingdom. Right? And and, and so... (laughs) Paul's letting us know here in Philippians, he's saying, when you receive Christ, now it is him that works in you to produce his will and to bring his pleasure because you can't do it on your own. So now, not only has he worked for me to save me, but now he wants to fill me, to work in me and through me. Jesus works for you. He brings you in through his sacrifice, but then he starts working in you and through you to produce his will and pleasure. Ephesians, the second chapter says, we are saved by grace, but we're called to works. This is important to understand. There is a balance here. Years ago when I was a kid, uh, my cousin and I, we set up a home gym. Before John Greaves was even thinking about it, Naomi, I was a little kid, and we had a home gym. And he and I, were, we were bench pressing, and we were super powerful. And we didn't put the collars on the side of the bar and he got down to press and he's left-handed so he pushed a little bit stronger with his left hand than he did his right got out of balance and you know what happened all the weights on this side dumped and hit the floor and as soon as they dumped and hit the floor guess what happened bam because he got out of balance that's that's what can happen if we don't understand the gospel message you are saved by christ christ alone it is nothing that you do. But now he wants to work you in you and through you to start producing his will and pleasure. And if you just stop at grace is enough, now I'll live however I want, then your life is out of balance. Does that make sense? So it's now, I'm saved by his grace. But now, Jesus, I want you to come in through the power of your Holy Spirit and I want you to start producing the fruit that you desire in my life. Again, I'm not producing the fruit. That's why later in Galatians it's called the fruit of the Spirit because it is the Spirit himself that begins to produce the fruit inside of you. But that comes through a yielding. God, I make myself available to you, which is actually true salvation. We've actually done a great disservice in the church of Jesus Christ by leading people in a salvation prayer that simply says, Jesus, I believe you're the Lord and Savior of my life, and now you're saved. And then some of them just, they never show up to church ever again, because I'm saved. I live however I want, do whatever I want. That's actually not true salvation. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you confess with your mouth, right? If you believe in your heart. So here's, here's, the, two, here's the two dynamics of this, and I want you to see this. If you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for you, and that God raised him from the dead, That's part of it. You have to believe. You have to believe that you were jacked up, that you're in sin, that you cannot do this for yourself, that Jesus died for you, and he came back to life. And through that, you get new life. That's part of it. Then it says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? What? Say it again loud. Lord. Lord. That's not just a title that we say, Jesus, you're the Lord. That's a position. That's what true salvation is. I believe that you died for me. And now I give you lordship over my life, which means it's not my will anymore. It's your will be done. Now, this, this is a process. Get this, this is a process. And we still, we still mess up. As long as we got this vehicle of flesh, we're still gonna mess up and have bad days and think things we shouldn't think and do things we shouldn't do and say things we shouldn't say. But I'm saying, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. It's no longer my view on how life should be done. I want you to live in me and through me to produce your will and good pleasure, and then when something and when something is wrong in your life, the Spirit Himself will show you, and then you submit that to Him. Father, I know I've got this anger in my life, and, and I've been saved for a long time, but still I've, I've got this anger, and I want to submit that to you, and I want to. I, I need healing from that. I can't heal it myself. I, I've, I've tried to read all the self help books. But let me just say this to you. The problem with self-help is, is self, because you're the problem with you, right? So Jesus, I bring, I bring this issue to you, and I, I, I bring my burdens and cares to him, and you're the Lord of my life. You are leading me and guiding my life. You are ordering my steps. You are the Lord of my life, and that brings us in to balance. Paul was radically changed radically changed when he met Jesus. And no one understood the message of grace better than Paul. Because not only did he have a revelation of it, he personally experienced it. He came from a life of persecuting Christians to actually being a follower of Christ. He understood grace. But he says, I've worked harder than anyone else. That's the balance. I I hope you're you're getting this. Because your works do not save you. But now that I'm saved, God is calling me into a place to use me because he has a purpose for your life, which is why he actually saved you to begin with. Jesus did not save us just to get us to heaven. If that was his mission, as soon as he died on the cross and people started believing in him, he would have said, it is finished now, I'm taking them to heaven the work is completed he didn't he says now that i'm going away i'm sending my spirit to you and the works that i do now you're going to do and greater works why because there's still a purpose the reason we are still on planet earth is because god still has a purpose for this planet And you are a part of that. And so when he saves you, he transforms you from the kingdom of darkness, brings you into his marvelous light. And then he breathes his spirit into you and says, now I want to lead you. Now I want to direct you. Now I want to guide you. And that is what it is all about. He has a purpose for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I know today that some of you have grown up with intense religious thoughts and concepts and that is a burden that you have carried your entire life where it's like I've got to do this in order to please God today I want you to be set free from that I want you to come to Jesus and I want you to find rest for that burden you bring him your life your mistakes weakness you bring it all to him and you say Jesus today I give it to you and now I want you to be the Lord of my life and start the process of pruning me and start the process of producing fruit in me and the more you pursue after him and the pursue after his presence and desire a relationship with him the more transformation you see in your life it's not about works and effort it's about developing a relationship and I promise you whatever needs to be changed He will change, not by your own effort, but by simply surrendering your life to Him. So the first prayer I pray today is this. Father, for everybody who's burdened, God, I'm asking today that you would give them rest. God, I'm asking that you would fill their life with your Holy Spirit, that you would begin to lead them and guide them. Father, I'm asking today in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would remove the condemnation from their life, God, remove the thought process that thinks that they've got to earn something. And today, God, as your children, we just simply sit here and receive from you. And we ask, God, that you would use us for your glory. That you would use us as a light to the world that is around us. In Jesus' name.